Victory is not in wealth. Some of the most miserable people on the face of the earth tonight are people who have thousands and thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. One example of that was the man out in the West who had so much money he didn't even know what he was worth. He lived his life as a hermit, shut off from everybody else, miserable. And when he died, everybody was trying to get his wealth. You see, money doesn't give victory. Even a good lucrative job doesn't give victory. We're seeing day by day of people who have been in positions of, of uh, leadership, positions of responsibility, who are so miserable in it that they finally just fade away. They either get dethroned from their job or what they really are gets found out and they go down in defeat. One of the saddest things has been some of those who raked in a lot of money by television evangelism. And my heart goes out to it. I haven't said very much about it. But it's a tragic thing that people would, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Word of God, in the name of Christ, would take advantage of that position of trust. The paths of glory lead but to the grave. Fame is fickled as a wind. And victory is not in wealth. It is not in influence. It is not in how many times your, your face appears in the paper or in public places. It is not in all the thousand and one things that we say is success. There's only one place for victory. And the Bible says that one day death is going to be swallowed up in victory. Now I want you to read with me from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 beginning with verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, there are several mysteries in the Scripture. A mystery is a truth that has been once totally concealed. It is now partially revealed. It will one day one be completely unveiled. There's still a mystery about it. And so the Holy Spirit writing through Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. And here it is, we shall not all sleep, that is, we're not going to all die. Christians are not going to all die. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. My beloved friends, I don't know whether we've ever lived through a time in our church life where we've had the death angel invade us more than in the last month. In one week, I've had eight funerals. I have another one tomorrow. There are folks sick. We have some others that are sick right now, sick unto death. And it's a hard thing to stand in the presence of a loved one who is going down in the valley and you're helpless to do anything about it, no matter how much you pray. Now, I know there are some people that believe you can pray and, and uh, there can be a miraculous healing. I'm sure, I know there is such a thing as a miraculous healing. I've seen people miraculously healed, but no matter how many miraculous healings there are, people are eventually going to die. We're not going to live forever here. 
And so this scripture is talking about the fact that there is a defeat in every one of our lives that is a physical defeat. We're going to die. Everybody in this room is going to die if the Lord tarries. We had the, I've had the funeral recently of a 14-year-old boy, a little child, a little baby, a 51-year-old man, a 58-year-old man, a, a, near, a man nearly 90. You see, you go out to the graveyard and you measure the graves. Some are only a foot long, some are two foot, some are three foot, some are six. We don't know how long we've got. And so this scripture says, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Death, where is thy sting? Now he's writing as one who has read the last chapter. Sometimes when I ever have time, I, I used to do this more than I do now. I haven't done it for a long time. I used to read murder mysteries. <laughs> Say, preacher reading murder mysteries? Yeah, I used to do that. I'd still like to. I like to know how they arrange all those things, how they plot them all out and so on. But I would cheat on them. I'd read the last chapter to find out what was going on, who done it. And then I'd go back and read and I'd say, well, I don't see how in the world this guy could have done it. I think he's, the last chapter's wrong, that this guy was such a hero and so on. But you see, the writer of 1 Corinthians, Paul, is writing as one who knows the last chapter. And he says, now, when this corruptible, we're all corruptible, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. My beloved, death is not swallowed up in victory right now, it's an enemy. Death is an enemy. I know that we've been in the presence of someone who is suffering and they're old and they can't get well and sometimes we've prayed, Lord, just release them into thy liberty. And, and we do that and yet when that final moment comes, you can't say, I'm happy it's there. You have to say, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. But there's coming a day when it won't hurt anymore. There's coming a day when God will wipe away all the tears from our eyes and death will be swallowed up in victory. And so standing on the other side, he says, oh grave, where is thy victory? Oh death, where is thy sting? Right here we know it's a sting. We know there seems to be a victory. Hell has enlarged itself. The grave has enlarged itself and is gobbling up folks, folks that are dear to us and precious to us. And we wonder who's going to be next. But on the other side, we can look back and say, hey, death, where's your sting? Hey, grave, where's your victory? The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through church membership through baptism, through living a good life, through turning over a new leaf, 
Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through, everybody say it together, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where victory is. Victory in Jesus. Victory is ahead. We're not on the defeated side. We're on the victory side. Everybody in this room who is saved is on the victory side. Now, you may suffer some skirmish defeats. There may be some battles that you'll not win here. You may even give in to some sins and yield yourself in ways that you feel so ashamed that you have to repent in sackcloth and ashes and God hurts your heart and God disturbs your mind about it and God, you even visualize, well, maybe I could never be used again because of it. But I want to tell you, the victory is all wrapped up in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to give you three keys to that victory tonight. Number one, the blood. The blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The Lord said to Moses, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The children of Israel were in bondage. They were down in Egypt 400 years. They'd been slaves. And they cried to God, and God heard their cry. And on the backside of the desert, God said, hey, Moses. I want you to go over and say to Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. And Moses said, I'm scared to go. I'm not eloquent. I can't talk. And beside that, they'll ask me, who is God? And what am I going to tell them? And the Lord God said, Moses, I'm not asking who you are. The question is, who am I? And Moses, you go back there and tell them that the Lord God is, I am who I am. I'm not was, I'm not future, I am the great I am. And you go down there and say to old Pharaoh, I am, has said, let my people go. And I want to tell you, Moses, he'll resist you, his heart will be hardened, but I'm going to let the people go with a great, great victory. And the victory will not be in anything you do, Moses. The victory will not be in anything the children of Israel do. The victory will be not in anything that Pharaoh do, does with a softer heart or anything like that. The victory will be in the blood. And he said, Moses, very end of all those pestilences after the lice and the frogs and the, all the other things and the blood of the water and all that had come. Then God said, Moses, you don't have to see Pharaoh another time. You just announce that the death angel is going to pass over the land tonight. And I want you to tell the Jews to kill a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and sprinkle it over the doorposts. And my death angel will pass through the land and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that was a marvelous prophecy down the corridor of the years. For almost all things are by the blood purged. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And when Jesus was dying on a cross, and the blood of the Son of God was streaming down that cross, that sinners plunged beneath the blood should lose all their guilty stains. Somebody came running from Jerusalem and saying, High priest, high priest, the veil of the temple is rent in twain. What did he mean by that? Never again in all the world would a human priest have to go beyond the veil and offer a blood sacrifice because Jesus is our Paschal Lamb and He died for the sins of the world. There is victory in the blood. And without the blood, there is no victory. And beloved, if the blood has not been applied to your life tonight, there's no victory in your life. 
You may have joined a church. You may have gotten wet in the waters of baptism. You may have tried to reform yourself. You may have turned over some new leaves, but if you've never been washed in the blood, you're lost without God, without hope in this world. In Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him, that is the devil, by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. Now how in the world is the blood of the Lamb overcome the devil? Well, I want to just confess something to you tonight. I don't know. That's one of the mysteries. Behold, I show you a mystery. I don't know. But I know that's what the Word says. And I believe it. And when I got under the umbrella of the blood of Jesus, my heart got changed. My mind got changed. The things that once I loved to do, I don't want to do them anymore. Things I used to hate, I want to do. Jesus changed because of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin. And beloved, if you're under the blood tonight, Christ has changed you. That's the reason John Weiss, dear missionary in Brazil, he was a dear friend of mine. He was there for 38 years. He used to say, I watch, we don't do that in America, but he said in, in Brazil, I always watched people that made confessions of their faith. He said, before I baptized them, I watched three things about them. I wanted to see if they were changed. I wanted to see if the blood had really been applied. He said, first of all, I watched where they sit in church. He said, if they come and sit in the back, I don't baptize them because I figure they don't want to get involved. Now, he said, anybody that gets saved will have a desire in his heart to get as close to the front and get under the Word of God. And if that desire is not there, something has happened. Now, I know there are some Christians that have been Christians for years, and they've little by little by little by little by little by little moved to the back. That's a sad thing. In Baptist churches, what a tragedy that you have to come early to get a back seat. That's a sad thing. These front seats ought to be jammed and packed. And beloved, I just believe that with all my heart. Somebody said, preacher, you're a dictator. No, if I were, all these seats would be filled down here. You wouldn't be sitting back there. I love you. John Bice said, I watch where they sit. He said, if they sit in the back of the church, I don't baptize them because I figure they don't want to get involved. Secondly, he said, I watch what they do when we sing. If they don't sing, I don't baptize them because I figure they don't have a song in their heart. And when Jesus comes in, he puts a song in your heart. Even if you can't carry a tune, he puts something inside that wants to say amen. You may just stand there and amen all through the service. Don't ever get yourself upset or back up because somebody says amen. Praise the Lord for it. That's better than maybe what you're doing. Sing. And if you can't sing, just stay there and say, amen, 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 amen. If you can sing, sing. Why well, he said, I wouldn't baptize anybody that didn't sing. I didn't, he said, I didn't give them, a, I didn't give them a, uh, an audition to see if they held the tune pretty. Didn't make them get in the choir, but I wanted to watch what they did while we all sang. Because the Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There's victory in the blood. And there's victory over that old sluggishness. There's victory over that old nature. There's victory that over that old timidity that draws you back into the world that says, I want to get involved and get involved in things. Thirdly, he says, 
I watch how many times they come to church. He said, if they just come on Sunday morning, I don't baptize them. Because he said, I figured that if they really got saved, they'd have a hunger in their hearts for the Word of God, and they'd be there almost every time the church door opens unless they're sick. The blood of Jesus Christ changes people. Are you under the blood? Secondly, now I'm not through yet, and I may not get through tonight. The second thing is the Bible. What is it that gives victory? The blood and the Bible. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. It is the word of God, the wonderful word of God that gives victory. Psalm 119, 9, 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. And the book of James in chapter 1 says, Be not just a doer of the word, but be a hearer of the word. Did I say that right? But you see, most of us do it the other way, don't we? He said we need to be a hearer and then a doer of the word. We need to hear the word. A lot of people never take time to hear it. They're just out busy, 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 busy. Doing, 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 doing good things, but never a quiet time alone with the word of God so they can hear what God wants to say. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to listen to what God says. We need to hear the word of God. There needs to be some private time when we study the Bible. Get along with the Bible. Years ago at R.A. Camp, I had the privilege of directing R.A. Camp for a number of years at Camp Joy. And we would have a time at sunset, we'd call sunset vespers. And the boys would go out on the hillside, just their Bible and, and, and just alone, 20 or 30 feet from everybody else. And one night I was just watching, watching what happened. I saw a boy writing. He had a piece of paper and he was writing. And uh, when the vesper time was over, I got along with him. to said, Terry, what were you writing? He handed it to me. He wrote a beautiful poem. And part of the poem said, you never can tell what will happen when a boy gets along with his Bible. You see, when you get along with your Bible, something will happen. We need to be a hearer of the Word. But then sometimes we just stop with hearing the Word. Sometimes we don't even hear it come to church and pass notes and giggle and laugh, get up and walk in and out. We need to hear the word. When Ezekiel went down to the valley of the dry bones, God said, Ezekiel, you go out there and preach those dry bones. Oh, ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. We need to hear the word. That's the reason I like preaching. And listen, beloved, I don't apologize to you. I love you, but we ought to spend an hour praising God and an hour preaching the word. Don't, don't get in such a habit that you think you have to come and put everything in just a little 45 or 50 minute twilight service where you can hurry up and go home and watch television. Hear the word of God. Listen to it. And then begin to do it. Practice it in your life. The word of God says thou shalt not steal. 
How many times people steal? I don't mean they always rob a bank. A lot of that going on, robbing these junior food markets, and robbing people, and breaking in their homes, and raping people. What a tragedy. But a lot of people steal from someone else that which they could never give back. They steal their virginity. They steal their purity. They steal their reputation. And now listen, I think it's even possible to steal their character. Character is what you are in private, but you can be so tempted and so tried and so moved and motivated by somebody that you respect and trust that you could lose that. And somebody has this stolen from you. God says, thou shalt not steal. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill. Now, the, the word of Scripture, there is, is, there's a difference between killing and murder. In the Ten Commandments, that is, thou shalt not do no murder. The original text says that. There's a difference in accidentally going down a highway and you hit someone you didn't mean to do, as terrible, as terrible as it is. That is not first degree. That was not premeditated. Murder is premeditated. But where did Jesus say that starts? He said that starts in the heart. Hatred in the heart. And you know there are people tonight that have hatred in the heart. They wouldn't take a gun and shoot somebody, but deep inside they'd like to. Be a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. And then the scripture says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. And today we live in an age when apes would be ashamed of our music. And kids and their parents are so hoodwinked by all the rock music that's going on today, they do not understand. Listen, I say this to you. I know I'm stepping on some toes, but listen, I love you. You have been hoodwinked into thinking there's nothing wrong with that. You listen to the lyrics. I can't even name all the four-letter words and all the filth and the garbage and the trash. And it's not on just one radio station. It's not on just one television. They're not just on MV video or whatever that is. What is the name of that? MTV? I don't even have television, so I'm not even sure what it is. I've been in people's homes where they have that thing on. It's not just that. It's on every radio station. You, you see, then some of you spend your money on this music. And you go into your rooms and close the door and mom thinks well you're just in there you're just a kid you're just a young person just a teenager after all you've got to have your do whatever you want to do and, and so they don't bother to listen to what you're listening to and you're being fed all this garbage kids the scripture says be a hearer of the word and then a doer of it and the doing of the word says let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Amen. 
You know why we have a sex revolution going on today? I've told you this before. Some of you have a hero that was Elvis Presley. Now, years and years ago, when I was a young man, Elvis was down in West Tennessee, and he went to a church of God. I've told you this before, but I won't tell you again. And he sang beautiful hymns. And it sounded like the honored Christ. I heard him. Saw him, met him. Heard him sing. I thought they were great. And then someone invited him to sing something that wasn't a Christian song. And he tried it for the first time. And everybody acclaimed him. And all of his, his friends liked it. And then they had their dances at the schools, proms. And little by little by little by little by little, Elvis Presley, that had that marvelous, wonderful, beautiful voice, began to give it to the devil. But listen, all along there was something inside that said, Elvis, you ought to sing about Jesus. And so from time to time, he would sing some hymn about Jesus. And I heard during those years when he went into all kinds of rock music and so on, I used to hear, well, but he sings about Jesus. He sings these hymns about Jesus. You know why he did that? Because there was something deep down inside that said, Elvis, you ought to, you ought to save some time for Jesus. But after a while, he became known as the rock idol of America. And he ushered in the sex revolution. And a girl wrote him from Detroit saying, Dear Elvis, I'm glad you came to Detroit. Before you came to Detroit, I was a virgin. But I learned after your rock concert that it's not so hot to be a virgin anymore. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There is victory in the Bible, in listening to the Bible, in reading the Bible, in hearing the Bible, in heeding the Bible, and putting into effect in our lives. And when we leave it all, we're in trouble. You know, reading the Word of God is like medicine. Sometimes the doctor will prescribe medicine. I remember some, some time ago I had a sickness and Dr. Kemp prescribed something, had all these pills, and you're supposed to take a certain number this day, and a certain number the next day, and a certain number the next day, and all that. And I started doing it, and the next day I didn't feel any better. Next day I didn't feel like I was any better, but I kept on taking it, kept on taking it, and finally when I got through with it, I was better. And sometimes when you read the Word of God, you may not think, well, I'm any better today. You may not feel like it's made much impact on you, but you keep doing it. Day after day after day after day after day after day. And after a while, the Holy Spirit begins to take that word and move it into your mind and heart and saturate your life with it. And something comes up and the Holy Spirit says, how about this? And he gives you something from the Word of God. Some thought comes from the Word of God. Where did that come from? The Holy Spirit gave it to you because you put some input in your life. There is victory in the Bible. Read it, heed it, believe it. And thirdly, there is victory in the blessed hope. There is victory in the blessed hope. The word of Christ, the word of 
the grace of God, Titus says, Paul said to Titus in, in Titus chapter 2, the grace of God that bringeth...